0: we can make a difference
1: hello do me a favor and listen while you work or if you're like me listen while you walk either way thanks for listening in a world of overflowing
0: with movies we need a hero someone to separate the man from the good
1: Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 81, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And this is the anniversary of Verbal Diorama. Verbal Diorama is two years old. This week, essentially, these episodes are coming out. And um to celebrate, I am doing another trilogy of anniversary episodes. Obviously I hope you're all keeping healthy and well, that is the most important thing. And obviously as well, this is episode 7 of Animation Season 2021 and it's also the first of three episodes focusing on classic Disney throughout the ages. And last year I did three special episodes on Studio Ghibli and this year I wanted to focus on Disney Uh, And I wanted to do one from the Golden Age of Disney, one from the Silver Age of Disney, and one from the Bronze Age of Disney. And I wanted to focus on those because a lot of podcasts focus on Renaissance Disney, and I do love Renaissance Disney. um, But I really wanted to kind of go back in time a little bit and look at animation and kind of where it's come from and how far it's come as well. And the best, the only way to do that is by going to Classic Disney. And this episode will be focusing on the Golden Age of Disney, which started in 1937, with the release of this movie, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, uh, and it finished in 1942 with Bambi. And And I chose Snow White and the Seven Dwarves because, I mean, well, it's the first. It's the one that started Disney. It is essentially the creator of an empire. Uh, and, I mean, we've got a lot to go through with Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Um... And obviously, if you are a returning listener or you are a brand new listener, you are very welcome at Verbal Diorama, always. Um, Animation season is something that I've been doing sort of at the start of every year. uh, And it runs through kind of January, February. And I wanted to showcase animated movies um, from all of these different studios and different countries. And just to really highlight animation, uh, because it's something that I'm really passionate about, uh, that animation is not a genre and animation is not just for children. And Obviously, this movie is very family-focused, and all of Disney's movies are very family-focused, but I've tried to mix it up with the movies that I've covered on this season. This episode as well, and the other two anniversary episodes, they're going to be a little bit different to regular episodes. They're actually designed to be a little bit more compact. Uh, There's no listener or patron comments. I mean, whether they are going to be more compact, uh, who knows? I'm, I'm kind of aiming for about 30 minutes, but, you know... There's a lot to go through with Snow White, so I'm thinking this might be the longest of the three, potentially. Um, But if you are interested in any of the other movies that I've covered for animation season, I've also done Coco, The Secret of Nim, Your Name, Chicken Run, Shrek, and Ghost in the Shell. And while all of those movies experience degrees of success, nothing that they achieved has come close to what Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs has achieved, in the 84 years since its release now finding a trailer for snow white and the seven doors is really difficult um so i actually had to go back to the 1987 trailer which was the trailer that came out for the 50th anniversary this is a movie that's been released many times over the years so let's have a listen to that trailer
2: coming this summer to theaters everywhere hey, look. The motion picture event of the year. What is it? Why, it's a girl. The 50th anniversary of Walt Disney's timeless classic, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Come celebrate with the fairest of them all, the merriest of them all, and the scariest of them all. It's the golden anniversary of Snow White, sleepy, doc, bashful, happy, grumpy, dopey, and... Sneezy. <laughs> we got a neighbor. Whether it's your first time or your fiftieth, now is the time to experience the magic, much of the most beloved animated motion picture of all time. A true story. A love story. Where we will live happily ever after. Walt Disney's classic. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, opening July 17th in 42 countries worldwide.
1: Once upon a time there lived a lovely little princess named Snow White. Her vain and wicked stepmother the queen feared that someday Snow White's beauty would surpass her own. So she dresses the little princess in rags and forces her to work as a scullery maid. Each day the vain queen consulted her magic mirror Magic mirror on the wall, who is the fairest one of all? And as long as the mirror answered, you are the fairest one of all. Snow White was safe from the Queen's cruel jealousy. So let's just quickly go through the cast. Um, We have Adriana Casalotti as Snow White. Lucille Laverne as Queen Grimhilda. She also plays the Wicked Witch as well. Harry Stockwell as the Prince. Roy Atwell as Doc. Pinto Colvig as Grumpy and Sleepy, Otis Harlan as Happy, Scotty Mature as Bashful, Bill Gilbert as Sneezy, Eddie Collins and Jimmy MacDonald as Dopey, Maroney Olsen as The Magic Mirror and Stuart Buchanan as The Huntsman. The movie was written by Ted Sears, Richard Creedon, Otto Englander, Dick Rickard, Earl Hurd, Meryl Maris, Dorothy Ann Blank and Webb Smith. It was obviously based on Snow White by the Brothers Grimm. And it was directed by David Hand, he was the supervising director, and William Cottrell, Wilford Jackson, Larry Maury, Perce Pierce, and Ben Sharpstein were all credited as sequence directors. Um, So there was a lot of hands on this movie, a lot of individual hands on individual sequences all kind of put together at the end. Um, But I want to start with Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm aka the Brothers Grimm, uh, because obviously that this is where the Snow White story comes from. So they published Snow White, or Schneewitchen, uh, and I'm sorry if I butcher that, by the way, because uh, that is the original German title. So that was published in Germany in 1812, and it was tale 53 of their Grimm's Fairy Tales collection. Uh, the final revision by the Brothers Grimm of Snow White was released in 1854. Now, being a Brothers Grimm fairy tale, it certainly wasn't as family-friendly as the story Walt Disney would eventually use for his feature film. And elements were similar, um, so the characters of Snow White, the Evil Queen and the Seven Dwarves, as well as the magic mirror, the poisoned apple and the glass coffin are all shared between the two versions. But in the original story, we get more of Snow White's backstory, essentially that her mother pricks her finger on a needle as she's sewing, and as three fresh drops of her blood fall in the snow, she wishes for a daughter who has skin as white as snow, lips as red as blood, and hair as black as ebony. Um, there's also a bit more into the, the story about how the Queen actually poisons Snow White. She poisons her with a comb, um, which doesn't quite work, because the dwarfs can take the comb out, and then she uses the apple, and it basically gets lodged in her throat, Um But basically what I'm saying is the Brothers Grimm version of the fairy tale, like all of the Brothers Grimm versions of fairy tales that Disney would eventually go on to use, it was a much darker tone and it had much darker elements than the story that we eventually get from Walt Disney. And Walt Disney, I kind of feel like he's a man who needs little introduction because he is the name behind this empire and the Disney name nowadays is associated with everything you know pixar star wars marvel and obviously walt disney animation as a whole um and it's a name that for many years meant quality family entertainment um and it's also a company where so many other animators that we know and love sort of cut their teeth in the industry at disney before moving on to other places and i've talked on this podcast about don bluth and jeffrey katzenberg and all of these animators that started out at Disney and have basically moved on to other things. Walt Disney was born in 1901 in Chicago and he loved drawing as a young boy. He moved to California in the early 1920s and set up the Disney Brothers Studio with his older brother Roy. And Walt Disney had this passion for animation and he had big ambitions For this little studio, after a string of animations such as the Alice comedies and the Oswald the Lucky Rabbit shorts for Universal, their working relationship with Universal ended actually after Universal hijacked production away from the Disney Brothers due to rising costs. It was at that point that Walt Disney decided that he would never work for anyone else ever again and that the only person he would work for was himself. And so they needed a replacement for Oswald the Lucky Rabbit and Walt, along with a guy called Ub Iwerks. I don't know if I've pronounced that correctly, Uh, but I hope so. They created Mickey Mouse in 1928 as a replacement for Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. And Mickey Mouse, obviously, I don't think I need to explain who Mickey Mouse is. Um, He is the company's mascot. Uh, His short film debut in Steamboat Willie in 1928 was one of the first cartoons with sound, And it was an instant hit. Uh, Mickey Mouse would obviously go on to star in other animated shorts, along with other characters created by Disney, including Minnie Mouse, who was also created in 1928, Pluto in 1930, Goofy in 1932, and Donald Duck in 1934. And Disney's Silly Symphony animated musical shorts would be produced from 1929 to 1939. But Walt wanted more than animated shorts. He wanted the first full-length, technicolour, cell-animated musical feature film. That's what he wanted. And he gathered his staff and he basically acted out the entire story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And this was because he wanted this story to be the first. He'd seen a silent version of the story as a young boy. And although he was keen on Cinderella... Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland, obviously all classic stories, and all of which he'd oversee at some point in the future, Uh, he really wanted it to be Snow White. Um, And so that's what they decided. They were going to work on a full-length animated feature version of Snow White. And development started in June 1934. It would be produced by Walt Disney Productions, but released by RKO Radio Pictures, who would be Disney's main distributor between 1937 and 1956 until Disney established Buena Vista Film Distribution Company Buena Vista Film Distribution Company is now called Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures um, but they established Buena Vista in 1953 and I think the thing that we forget about when we talk about movies like Snow White is it was a huge risk to undertake Uh, the original budget uh, was two hundred fifty thousand dollars, which you look at it now, and it when you're talking about a feature film costing two hundred fifty thousand dollars, it sounds like pennies. Uh, but you take into account inflation and the fact that the budget was broken considerably many times. I mean, it makes sense how Walt Disney had to really fight for this movie. It even reached a point where his brother Roy and his wife Lillian were trying to dissuade him. They were trying to tell him it was a terrible idea and that it would bankrupt the studio. They didn't think it would make any money. Uh, Hollywood actually agreed, but I want to kind of focus on that a bit later because obviously, as we know, they were wrong. But when it came to making Snow White, uh, on the 9th of August 1934, staff writer Richard Creighton submitted 21 pages of notes for Snow White, Uh, coincidentally about the same as an average episode of Verbal Diorama uh, suggesting gags situations and you know characters and character development Um, because if they were going to do this movie it had to have it all It had to be sweet and romantic, had to obviously contain a bit of mild peril, because Disney movies, especially the golden age of Disney, was known for its darker elements. I mean, if you think about Pinocchio and the whale, I mean, that frightened me immensely as a child. But, you know, most important to Walt Disney, this movie had to be funny. It had to be entertaining. And obviously, the comedy was not going to come from... Snow White or the Evil Queen, but it was gonna come from the dwarves. Um, The dwarves themselves are almost as famous as Snow White herself. Uh, Dark, grumpy, bashful, sleepy, happy, sneezy and dopey. They each have their own individual personality and this was really important to be able to differentiate each dwarf from another by their mannerisms, how they walked, how they talked. I mean, some of the other names um, under consideration for the dwarves are really, really interesting. So we've got jumpy, deafy, hickey, wheezy, boldy, gabby, nifty, sniffy, swift, (laughs) lazy, puffy, stuffy, tubby, shorty, burpy, scrappy, hoppy, weepy. Snoopy, obviously not that Snoopy. Silly, flabby, Daffy, not the duck. Dizzy, Biggie, Wiggy, sounds a bit like a Teletubby. Jumpy, and my favourite, awful. <laughs> I would just love a dwarf called awful. <laughs> They really wanted to put as much personality as possible in the dwarves and to make them more of a focal point than actually Snow White herself, especially with regards to the comedy, because Snow White was going to bring the sweetness, the innocence, the purity, uh, the naivety of the situation, and the dwarves were going to be the comedy sidekicks, basically. And at the time, most of Disney's staff were actually working on Mickey Mouse, and on Silly Symphonies. And then the rest were kind of working, shaping Snow White and essentially working on making the most famous of Disney's concepts. And I've mentioned this on the podcast several times before the famous multiplane camera, which gives the illusion of depth to multiple planes of artwork. It is one of the most phenomenal things I've ever seen in my life to see a real multiplane camera. And the other thing that they did was, obviously, these animators were men. Um, And so they had to draw women. (gasps) Shock horror. And they had to draw a girl. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. Um, And so what they did was they actually studied female anatomy in great detail. They wanted to know. This sounds ridiculous, actually. But they wanted to know how women walked and how women behaved. Uh, (laughs) Because this team was primarily consisting of men. And they were going to these courses to actually look at the female body. And Walt Disney actually decided to bring these courses in-house because, basically, he didn't want everyone to kind of know that his animators were going out there studying young ladies. Because it sounds quite seedy, let's be honest. Especially for grown men in the 1930s to be studying younger ladies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, it really does sound quite bad. Um... But Walt Disney did sort of actively encourage all of the people working on Snow White. So basically everyone at the studio was encouraged to contribute to this story in some way. Usually gags um, and offered a bonus of five dollars a gag if the gag was used. So visual gags, especially to do with the dwarves, to do with their clumsiness, um, because they wanted to balance the severity of the story of an older woman attempting to murder her stepdaughter, and obviously the Queen herself, they didn't want her to be too scary, Uh, I mean, I watched this when I was a kid, and I thought she was quite scary, but they originally kind of conceived her as an overweight, erratic, very cartoonish Queen, and then they decided to change that, and make her this kind of statuesque beauty, who could very easily be the fairest in the land, Um, and that was really important, because You don't want to lessen the plausibility of the story and you know this was a massive massive task we underestimate i think how big of a task this was in the mid-1930s to get this movie going the actual crew who worked on snow white was huge in the 1930s there were 32 animators 107 assistants 20 layout artists 65 effects animators Uh, 750 people worked on the production in total Uh, they made 2 million illustrations but only 166,000 of them were used in the final film they used 1500 different shades of paint and this was in the 1930s Um, these are the sort of things that you'd kind of expect to hear from animation now 2 million illustrations Um, but no, this was in the 1930s this is how incredible this movie is Obviously, I mentioned that the vast majority, like 99% of people who worked for Disney were male. Um, There were women who worked on Snow White. Um, Obviously, there was a female writer on Snow White. Um, I mentioned her at the top of the episode, a lady called Dorothy Ann Blank. Other women who worked on Snow White, notably art director Hazel Sewell... She also worked on Bambi, but mainly women worked in the ink and paint department. And just some ladies that I want to mention, who did also work uh, for other early Disney productions, uh, ladies like Wilma Baker, Mary Jane Cole, Helen Jordan, Catherine Kerwin, Gianna Lee Keel, Helen Ogger, Grace Gordino, Ray Medby, Val Vreeland, and Claire Weeks. Most of these women, as I said, worked on many of the early Disney projects, and Mostly worked uncredited as well. Um, You will not see their names come up uh, when you watch the movie at all. They were uncredited for their work. And while early Disney was, like I say, a vast majority of men, women were key to Snow White. um, And without them, we would not have a movie as polished and beautiful as this. Uh, Many of these women worked 80-plus hour weeks, and they were carefully colouring celluloid sheets. And obviously, they had to be careful because each of those sheets was completely unique and if they made a mistake it would have to all be done from scratch again. Uh, Helen Ogger specifically, she was the only inker who could add the colour to the faces of Snow White and the Queen. Uh, she used a bit of red dye on a small piece of cotton wrapped around a tipple pencil on each individual shell. She was the only person who could do this there was no man on this production who could do this the actual task was so time-consuming it was never used again on the same scale so Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is the only production that uses this particular method in the scale that it does and obviously Snow White herself was modeled on three women Uh, she had the look of actress Hedy Lamarr the dancer Marge Champion was her live action model and obviously Adriana Casalotti She started recording the vocals of Snow White when she was just 18 years old. And all three women were remarkable in their own ways. Obviously, Hedy Lamarr, uh, along with composer George Anfield, developed a radio guidance system for using frequency-hopping spread spectrum technology for Allied torpedoes at the beginning of World War II. And basically, this was intended to defeat the threat of jamming by the Axis powers, And although the US Navy did not adopt this particular invention until 1957, various spread-spectrum techniques are incorporated into Bluetooth technology uh, and are basically similar to the methods used in legacy versions of Wi-Fi. So without Hedy Lamarr, we would not be on the internet right now, probably. She was actually posthumously inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame in 2014. So she was an actress... But she was an incredibly important inventor. And not only that, obviously, she was incredibly beautiful as well. Marge Champion, who was then known as Marge Belcher, she was a fascinating woman. She actually died last October. She was 101 years old. And she performed the movements for Snow White, uh, which the animators studied when she was just 14 years old. She is the reason why Snow White looks as realistic and moves as realistically as she does. She also modelled for the Blue Fairy in Pinocchio, for Hyacinth Hippo in Fantasia, and also Mr. Stork in Dumbo. Um, at one point, she was also married to Art Babbitt, the animator for the Evil Queen. But without Marge Champion, and the way she moved, she did all of the dances. So every time you see Snow White dance, this is her in a studio performing these dances. She even performed as Dopey at one point. Um... And she would just do all of these movements and the animators would watch her and copy her movements. And that is how Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs looks as fluid and beautiful as it does. And finally, Adriana Casalotti. uh, She was the daughter of LA signing coach Guido Casalotti. And at the point where they were trying to cast Snow White, uh, they did an extensive search. They did hundreds of auditions and casting director Roy Scott still hadn't found Snow White. Um so he called Guido Casalotti and his daughter overheard the conversation and asked to audition. Um and she got the part of Snow White as soon as Walt Disney heard her voice. But you might be wondering, well, why have you never heard of Adriana Casalotti? Well when she voiced Snow White, uh she obviously signed a contract to say I'm gonna be Snow White, I'm gonna work for Walt Disney. Um But she didn't realise, because she was very young at the time, that the contract she'd signed basically forbade her from working elsewhere. Snow White's voice had to be exclusive to Snow White. While she did have a couple of small roles, uh, uncredited in the likes of The Wizard of Oz and It's a Wonderful Life, generally never worked in Hollywood again. She did promote the film Dressed as Snow White, um, but she actually, again, received no credit originally. The Evil Queen, or Grimhilda, to use her real name, was based on the actress Joan Crawford and voiced by Lucille Laverne, who also, as I said, voiced the witch. Um, Laverne retired from the industry after she made Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and she died only eight years later. And I think it's easy to forget, when we look at movies like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, we champion Walt Disney and we champion Roy Disney. We look at the men behind Disney but it's very easy to forget that women were a presence they just weren't on the forefront of Disney at the time but they were there and they were so important and it's something that I really wanted to highlight um, the the importance of women behind the scenes of Snow White because without them it would not look this way this is a beautiful movie and one of the most fascinating things about revisiting this movie bearing in mind it came out in 1937, is how fantastic it still looks today. I mean, obviously, the original animation has been re-released several times, and in doing so, has been fully restored. It was the first film to be entirely scanned to digital files, manipulated, and then recorded back onto film. But even despite this restoration, it's still a beautiful movie, the animation is fluid, the colours are sharp and vibrant. The movements are realistic. It's it's actually phenomenal that th- this movie is the way that it is. And what's more phenomenal to me is the fact that Hollywood never believed this was possible. During Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs' four-year development, Hollywood actually nicknamed it Disney's Folly. They basically said, look, if this movie does ever get finished, which it probably won't, by the way, Walt Disney because you're never going to be able to do this, they basically said it would be an absolute disaster at the box office. It was basically the idea of a full-length cartoon was a preposterous idea. How would this work? How would this even make money? And this little movie proved everyone in Hollywood wrong. Literally everyone. And even now, you know, people discredit animation. Even after we've had, like... 80 plus years of animation history people still discredit animation and they would prefer to watch a live action version i'm going to come to live action versions in a bit don't worry um they would prefer to watch a live action version of a movie over an animated movie because the live action version is in inverted commas more grown up or in inverted commas better no it's just not <laughs> it's just this movie is incredible genuinely incredible Um, And and if you haven't watched it recently, obviously, it is available on Disney+. Plus. Please watch it. It's literally like an hour and 20 minutes. It's nothing. Um, But what it does and what it achieves in that time is, it floors me, genuinely. Um, And one of the things that I wanted to kind of investigate a little bit as to the spelling of dwarfs, um, because... Dwarfs, D W A R F S, obviously is the correct spelling of dwarfs. In my mind, I've always thought it was dwarves, as in D W A R V E S, um, and and I don't know where this has come from. So I thought, well, I want to find out where this has come from. Like, why do I think it's spelled wrong? Because I like to think that my spelling and grammar is is quite good, actually. Um, but I was really confused by this and. It was actually J.R.R. R. Tolkien who popularised the spelling of dwarves with a V. In a foreword to The Hobbit, he writes, and I quote, in English, the only correct plural of dwarf is dwarfs, and the adjective is dwarfish. In this story, dwarves and dwarvish are used, but only when speaking of the ancient people to whom Thorin Oakenshield and, and his companions belonged. So dwarves with a V, was actually a misspelling that Tolkien admitted to, but due to the popularity of The Hobbit, many dictionaries actually now recognise both spellings. So technically, both dwarfs and dwarves are correct, but obviously at the time, it was spelled with an F. But it's really interesting, actually, how how a popular story can change the lexicon of the English language. Unlike Nicky Mouse and the Silly Symphony shorts that Disney was so famous for back in the 30s, um, great pains were put into Snow White to make it cinematic. Uh, this was a big screen experience. They wanted it to look like an oil painting come to life. And obviously, as part of this particular series of anniversary episodes, I'm going to be talking about later Disney efforts. And you can see the cut corners on those movies, you can see the cheaper production methods. You don't enjoy them any less because I enjoy all of them immensely. But you can look at Snow White and you can tell that Snow White was not cheap. I mentioned the budgets earlier. The original budget was $250,000 and that quickly skyrocketed to $1.488 million. Uh, Walt Disney actually had to go to the bank to try and raise additional funds. He actually offered to show the bank manager uh, an unfinished version of the movie, uh, what they'd achieved with this movie so far, and basically, please give us some more money so we can finish this movie. And the bank manager saw this footage and agreed straight away to this, uh, to this additional money, and $1.488 million is equivalent to about $13 million today. Um, So you can kind of imagine the extent of what Walt Disney was asking for at the time was an incredible amount of money, especially when everyone in Hollywood was saying this was going to fail. He was determined that it was not going to fail um, and that he would make something of this film. I'm so happy that I've chosen this movie because I think that a lot of the golden age Disney, I mean, the phenomenal movie making in things like Cinderella and Pinocchio... But there's something special about Snow White. The fact that it is it is a full-length animated movie musical, that it has music in it, and I do want to talk about music in a little bit, but that it is a very simple story, um, but the execution is just flawless. And, and yes, you could argue the facial features are very basic. Yes, they are very basic. It's the combination of everything that's on screen that makes it, so incredible especially when you think that this movie is 84 years old one thing that I do want to do uh in this episode is I do want to carry on with my obligatory Keanu references so this is where I try and link the movie that I'm featuring to Keanu Reeves and I mean I just wanted to say that Keanu Reeves is my prince charming and you know the prince does look a little bit like Keanu, too, if you kind of squint a little bit. You know, dark hair, chiselled features, I'm here for it. You know, and I've got to kind of think, well, Someday My Prince Will Come. And speaking of Someday My Prince Will Come, um, the, the songs for this movie were composed by Frank Churchill and Larry Maury. Adriana Castellotti also performed all of the songs for herself. Uh, so she performed I'm Wishing, uh, With a Smile and a Song, Whistle While You Work, and Someday My Prince Will Come. And she hits some really high notes as well in that Uh, Harry Stockwell, who played the Prince, also sang his own songs. So he sang one song, and it's Reprise. Songs written for the film but not included in the finished movie uh, include a wonderful little song called Music in Your Soup. Uh, The sequence for that song was animated but not inked and painted. But I found it on YouTube, so I'll pop a link in the show notes to that particular video because it is delightful. There was also uh, an additional song that was never included called You're Never Too Old To Be Young, uh, but that was never actually animated. But Music in Your Soup, you can tell why they got rid of it, but it is a really fun, sweet song. So when it came to the release of Snow White, stars like Shirley Temple, Ginger Rogers, Clark Gable, Charlie Chaplin, Judy Garland and Cary Grant attended the Hollywood premiere of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs on 21st of December 1937 at the Cafe Circle Theatre, The general public, unable to get tickets, actually gathered outside the venue. And when the film finished, um, obviously they were just completely enraptured by this film. Everyone was shocked when they thought that Snow White had died, um, and delighted when they realised that she wasn't. And the film received a standing ovation. Which is really important when you remember that a lot of the people who were probably in that room were the people who were saying that Walt Disney could not do this. Uh, six days later Walt Disney and the Dwarfs appeared on the cover of Time magazine uh, and as I said it was distributed by Arkeo Radio Pictures and they put it on general release on February the 4th 1938 and it was just a massive hit, it was a massive hit with adults and children because you know animation, it's not just for children During this initial release it made $4.2 million in the US and Canada making it the most successful sound film of all time up to that point Until Gone with the Wind came out in 1939. By the end of its international theatrical run, it earned $7.8 million, uh, which obviously doesn't sound like a lot, but remember, this is 1938. And this movie has been re-released eight times uh, and adjusted for inflation and taking those re-releases into account. Snow White is officially the highest-grossing animation at the domestic US box office, taking $1.2 billion dollars. When it came to awards at the 11th Academy Awards, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was nominated for Best Musical Score and it won uh, an Academy Honorary Award for Walt Disney. And this was because, and I quote, as a significant screen innovation which has charmed millions and pioneered a great new entertainment field, Walt Disney received a full-size Oscar and seven miniature Oscars. They were presented to him by Shirley Temple and these are on display at the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco. I have been there. I got very emotional when I saw those Academy Awards. There was going to be an animated prequel which was going to be developed by the now defunct Disney Toon Studios titled The Seven Dwarves. And this was kind of mooted in early 2000s. It was going to explain how the dwarves met and the backstory of how the evil queen killed Snow White's father. The plot then changed to centre on the character of Dopey and how he lost his voice, Um, but it was cancelled in 2006 by John Lasseter. An inevitable live-action adaptation was announced in 2016, it's due for release in 2022. It's directed by Mark Webb. And it's certainly not the first live-action adaptation of this story. We all remember 2012's two live-action Snow White stories, Mirror Mirror and Snow White and the Huntsman. This 2022 adaptation is going to be the first live-action adaptation from... Disney, uh, obviously following the recent live-action adaptations of things like Mulan and Aladdin. Whether it's going to be good or not, I will reserve judgment. Uh, You know, I'm never the biggest fan of these Disney live-action adaptations. It's also said that the success of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs inspired Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer to produce The Wizard of Oz, uh, which was obviously its own significant screen innovation, And also seen as uh, one of the greatest films of all time. Um, Snow White was selected in 1989 as one of the first 25 films for preservation in the National Film Registry. And in 2008 was named the American Film Institute's greatest American animated film of all time. As well as being in the top 100 greatest American films. It actually took 57 years For Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs to be released on home video. uh, As the first in the Walt Disney Masterpiece collection. uh, Which was released on VHS and Laserdisc. Um, In the first year this home video release sold 24 million units. And on a personal note. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is the most expensive DVD that I own. Uh, Let me explain why. I bought a special edition version it's encased in its own book with a little booklet inside I bought it on eBay I think back in 2004 and I paid 75 pounds for it because you just can't get them from anywhere so I paid 75 pounds for a Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs DVD and I'm not ashamed (laughs) Uh, if I remember I'll put a picture of it on social media because it is beautiful and quite honestly It is the fairest of all of my DVDs. As I said, I'm not going to be doing any listener comments this time. Um, I know a lot of people are really excited about these episodes and I am really excited to be putting them out. But it's highly likely that anyone listening, like me, probably hasn't watched Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs for many years and kind of probably prefers to watch other Disney movies instead. And that's fine, by the way. Like No judgment from me. But... What struck me immediately was how advanced this movie looks. The level of care and attention to detail on a movie made in the 1930s actually goes beyond some of Disney's later animated efforts. It's astonishing how beautiful it still looks and how fresh it still feels. Um, I'll admit to not knowing or seeing many 1930s movies. Uh, to me, you know, it's mainly just this and The Wizard of Oz. Personally, I don't think I've seen anything else from the 1930s. But the fact that these two movies are still so important as landmarks of cinema, it's kind of easy to forget the majesty and importance of Snow White. Without it, who knows what animation would have looked like. It's 2021, it's 120 years after the birth of Walt Disney, and he is still making waves. And Walt Disney as a company isn't the same as it was when he died. And I'm going to be talking more on that in the next episode on The Jungle Book. It was his dream to make this movie a reality and it's not just a reality. It's an icon and it is the most important animated film ever made. Just ask The Magic Mirror. Thank you for listening. Uh, As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. I'm not going to go through all the regular gubbins that I normally go through at the end. I'm just going to say thank you for being a part of Verbal Diorama over the last two years. Even if you've this is the first episode you've ever listened to, I am really grateful that you are here with me. I'm really grateful for the amount of support that I get uh, from everyone really in um, from family, from friends, uh, from the podcasting community in general. I would not be able to do this without the constant support that I get. And obviously, I want to mention the next episode quickly. If you're listening to this on release day, tomorrow the Jungle Book will be released and the day after will be Robin Hood. If you're listening to this later, they're all available. But I want to talk about the episode that's coming after Robin Hood because it's strongly related to Robin Hood. It even shares a song with Robin Hood, uh, as well as being about foxes. The final episode of animation season is going to be on Wes Anderson's adaptation of Roald Dahl's Fantastic Mr Fox, which I think is really, really ridiculously underrated. And, um, And that's going to be the final episode of animation season. But I want to finish, again, by saying a massive thank you to everyone for supporting Verbal Diorama over the last two years. Uh, a massive thank you, as always, to the patrons of this podcast, to Simon E., Sharday, Hardy L., Claudia, Simon B., Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Matt, Trevor and Scott. And finally, I've got some other episodes to put out. Time to get cracking.
2: Hi po I ho♫